Welcome back to Friends and Neighbors. I'm Benjamin Wagner. This week, we continue to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Mr. Rogers and Me on PBS with the second of our special two-part conversation between myself, neighborhood archivist Tim Leibarger, and two key voices in Chris and My Film and in my life, Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers author Amy Hollingsworth and I'm Proud of You author Tim Madigan. Last week, Amy and I shared how they came to write their books and what they came to understand of Fred Rogers' legacy. This week, Amy, the Tims, and I discuss how reflection is critical, hope is participatory, and deep and simple is an evolving concept. We're looking at 10 years since this film was on PBS, and the the film that that all three of you obviously had a, a major part in. You all share a very similar perspective when it comes to the importance of deep and simple. Does deep and simple mean something different to you now than it did 10 years ago? I was 30 when I met Fred Rogers on Nantucket. So it's 20 years ago. At the time, I really viewed it as the media landscape in terms of vacuous versus substantive. I was just distraught by how much garbage we seemed to be making for each other. Our film came out when the iPhone was really taking off, right? So this, mm-hmm. this screen, that engagement and all the FOMO stuff and the social dynamics of, do they like me? Did it get shared? Do I got the right comments and all that stuff? Wasn't really a thing yet. So there was all of that at the heart of it for me first, but I think it's just a profoundly human thing for me now. To me, what Deep and Simple Now means is really trying to live just as closely as you can to your authentic self and to really shine as brightly as possible. And I think I've played small, which might sound dumb. Maybe doesn't, doesn't make sense as a guy who made a movie that he like walks around in. But I, I can tell you day to day that that's what I did, that that's what I've done. Doing Mr. Rogers and Me was like a, a swing at playing bigger, meaning more vulnerability and more courage in the face of Amy, the unmitigated uncertainty that is our lives. It's so much more personal now. You know, I've had 10, 15 years to keep talking about these things. That personal and universal really lands now. I've also seen the world and seen a lot more shallow and complex than I had 20 years ago. And we've also, we're seeing shallow and complex in ways that I don't think any of us could have fathomed. But for me, it goes to just like, what are we carrying? And how can we find a safe place to be with that painful stuff? which is what Fred gave me in September on Nantucket, a safe place to be sad, to be hurt, to be human. I don't think I realized that until a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I know I didn't. It unfolds every day. It goes to show that depth and simplicity isn't a decision that you make and then it's done. You know, because I feel like what you're saying is you, you, you had this film, like you make this film and that's your, your launching pad to, to striving for depth and simplicity. And you thought maybe that that film was going to be the one that got you there. That's right. But then over time, you know, you look back over all these years and even at the time you made that film, that was a step in the right direction. But in comparison to where you are now, making it such a more personal thing, 
you know, maybe that was the launching pad, but not the switch that flipped there um, because it's, it's a constant growing process. Right. Fred and Amy and Tim almost every day give me new, a new lens on, on how I'm walking through the world, you know? One of the things that we have in common is that we know too much or we are committed to trying really hard to live the kind of lives and to emulate Fred to the extent that any person can, for lack of a better way of putting it, to be good people, to try to continue to learn, to try to continue to grow. Just kind of being clueless and superficial is just not something that we have in us. I've thought so many times over the years that I wish it were the other way sometimes. Mm. I wish the Dallas Cowboys was the most important thing in my life. I wish making a bunch of money was the most important thing in my life. You know, or just just kind of just being oblivious to the soul and oblivious to the hurt or but we we are all seekers. And that's a difficult road because the road never ends. <laughs> it, you know, there's a cure for what ails us, and that's when we stop breathing. I'm comfortable with that now because I have compassion for myself, and Fred was one of the people who allowed me to do that. I, I have an appreciation for how difficult it is to be human. I was telling the story of my friendship with Fred to about a 1,000 junior high kids in Tampa, Florida one time. It was seventh and eighth graders, and it was an inner city school, so there's a lot of diversity in this place and so at the end of this talk i said i got a, I got a confession to make they all kind of leaned forward and i said i'm a mess you know maybe not as much of a mess as i was 20 years ago but i'm still a mess and they just kind of took the roof off this you know this <laughs> this old fat white guy was getting real with us <laughs> and i said but i said wait a minute wait a minute before you get all carried away i've got another little news flash for you i said you're a mess too <laughs> The noise in this gym was even louder at that. <laughs> I said, there's another word for mess. Anybody know what it is? And this little girl in the front row said, human. Mm. And I said, you're exactly right. I said, and here's the good news. You're a mess, I'm a mess, but we don't have to be messes alone. And I think that that was a big part of Fred's message, is that I know it hurts to be three, but I'm here for you. You don't have to hurt alone. If more and more people could understand that, I think the world would be a better place because we all hurt, but we compound our hurt by feeling like we shouldn't hurt. Somehow this isn't part of the human condition. But Fred was a, an evangelist for what it was like to be human and to try to coax you out into the open and trust him to be human. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'll be a mess until I die. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that. A few years ago, there was a journalist in the UK who was doing an article for the Sunday Times, and he asked me to distill Mr. Rogers for an audience that had that didn't know him because the neighborhood didn't air in the UK. And I'm thinking, okay, how do I, how do you summarize in just a few words the importance of Mr. Rogers to American culture? And what I ended up saying is that. Mr. Rogers gave children and their parents permission to have feelings. He -hmm. gave them permission to feel. And Mm -hmm. well, you said this earlier, Tim M., whatever is mentionable is manageable. And he didn't put a value judgment on that. You know, emotions were not good or bad, but they could be and are overwhelming. 
And, you know, it was a child who asked him, you know, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And so, as you guys all know, he wrote an entire song in answer to that question. It was so important to him to give children ways to express how they feel. I'm going to say this very slowly because I just watched the evening news, how they feel without hurting them or anyone else. And so you watch the news any night in America, globally, everything. You can see these are the two things that we still need. We still need someone to acknowledge our powerful emotions. And we still need healthy, nonviolent ways to express those feelings. And so to me, that's part of Fred's legacy. And what he communicated to me is really the most important part to him is for children and their parents to know that it's okay to feel it's okay to be human and yet we all we have to acknowledge that I mean I saw Joanne in just the months leading up to the lockdown and she said that anger was not tolerated in her home growing up nor was it in Fred's and so you can see how that became some a soapbox for him to let people know it was okay to be angry but he also equally showed the healthy ways to express our powerful emotions. And I, I think mm. that legacy today is needed now more than ever. In one of his pieces of writing, he described the day that the bullies followed him home from school mm-hmm. and said, Fat Freddy, we're going to get you, Fat Freddy, and how he disappeared in, you know, through the door. And, and he said the adults, and I'm assuming it was his parents, said, just, mm-hmm. just pretend like it doesn't bother you, then they'll leave you alone. But Fred had the insight as a junior high school kid or however old he was to know that just wasn't right. And he said, I grieved to myself and I uh, cried through my fingers on the piano and I started uh-huh. to look for other people who were poor in spirit. He didn't have that permission, it, it doesn't sound like. No. No, He and he was eight at the time. He was eight. When he said the thing about, you know, I cried through my fingers as I made up songs on the piano and you just... Boy, there's so so much depth to that for a child to know. Right, right. You know, he said, I, I resented those boys. You know, I resented them for teasing me, but I also resented them for not seeing past my fatness and my shyness, mm-hmm. you know. And then again, another one of his legacies is is that, is that what we see with our eyes is not what's essential about another person, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more comfortable I am sharing how broken I feel. Uh-huh. And and I don't think I would have known or been able to if, and, and right now I'm really galvanized with what's happening broadly as we exit this pandemic. And it is so apparent to me that I'm not the only one just racked with anxiety. Uh-huh. It may not be all of us, but it feels like we have this collective experience. In fact, Tim said this to me when we did, had a conversation about, two years ago, he's like, can you imagine we all get to have this experience together, this global pandemic, and that the amount of suffering and isolation and loss and grief that was present in all of us prior was notable, like the hypervigilance uh-huh. to use like post-traumatic stress disorder language that, that, that I now know, that all just got ratcheted up. So as we exit, knock on wood, this pandemic, the planet and face all these ridiculous crises, whether it's brutish invasions or icebergs the size of Rhode Island calving into the ocean forever. It seems to me the place to start, Amy, to your point, is 
what do we share? But also like what we share is this stuff that, that hurts really bad inside that I think everybody has just to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. I think too, that it, this is something that I just realized recently. I think that Fred knew too, that we don't always have to get to anger. If we're able to be our honest self, if we're able to express exactly how we feel, because of course, you know, anger is a secondary emotion, right? So what's underneath the anger for him, Mm. what was under eight year old boys anger was this pain and hurt for being teased and ridiculed for how he looked, you know? And so I think that you don't even have to get to the anger. Not that it's not a legitimate emotion, but if you're really, if you're able to express how you feel, then you don't get to that anger. Do you know what I mean? If you're able to express sadness and weakness and your honest self, then I wonder if that circumvents the anger because there's always something Mm. underneath anger. You know, the place I find that I gaff the most is unsurprisingly with my wife and my kids, right? And the more I own my fallibility with them, especially my little girls. And and I usually get on my knees and look them in the eye and say something like tonight. It was, I said, I made a mistake. I'm really anxious about this thing we're doing tonight. And I think I'm scared. And that scared came out as me being short. Wow. And that shortness came out as me losing my temper. And I'm, I mean, I'm Amy, I wish I, I, it'd be great if I didn't do it every fifth day, <laughs> but I can't even imagine. I had a very wonderful, compassionate father. I can't imagine him saying something like that to me. I would have been blown away if my father said that. It's amazing. Well, this is courtesy of you guys. I mean, this is 20 years of this kind of dialogue where I think to myself, well, what they need for, to see me say is I have feelings and th- that I made a mistake and that I'll try better. And then they need to see me try better. This is an extraordinarily dark moment in human history. With the pandemic, with social justice issues, and, and what with what's going on in Europe right now is just bleak. And I dearly wish we would have, we had had the opportunity to ask him ourselves. But what would Fred Rogers say today? That seems so easy to me, but this is only because I've been thinking about it a lot. So I realized that friends and neighbors was that this podcast was a way for me to reach out and connect at a time when I felt isolated, disconnected, and afraid. And throughout the process of the last year or two, I've also tried to wrestle with my own humanity and my own, you know, why am I here? What am I going to do with the remainder of this time? Particularly now that I've stepped out of a certain kind of pace and lifestyle and place. And I feel like the only answer is to just keep looking for the helpers. I realized that just the act of looking for the helpers is enough because I'm going to figure out this journey and the story and we're going to share back insight just by virtue of going out, right? Like just the participatory dynamic. So I'm doing some research of just the last few weeks because I was super duper inspired by specifically Sarah McBride, the first transgender state senator in America and happens to be my neighbor and said to me, when I'm able to show my insecurities, I think it gives people permission to do the same. And I was like, so what happens if I look for the helpers and I share my vulnerability as we've all done? Is that a positive, constructive use of time and energy at this time in the world as we're all wrestling with fear and anxiety? And I had come to this place where I'm like, well, not only do I think that's a, the answer is yes, but I'm going to choose that as 
a yes, because I think it's something I need and the world needs. And Amy, you're going to love this because you probably knew this, but there's this great Emmy interview. It's a long, very deep, multi-part interview. And he's talking about the helpers. And he said something that I'd never heard before, which is this little part at the end. You know, he talks about when, when there were tragedies and I saw terrible things on television, I would ask my mother and she'd say, look for the helpers. There's always people on the sidelines rushing in to help. And then he says, because when you look for the helpers, then you know that there's hope. Hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's it. Done. I'm, I, I don't, I mean, maybe I, I just felt like it was so profound at a time when I feel so hopeless personally. And I think the world feels so hopeless. What I'm going to choose to do with my time is actively pursue hope by virtue of finding the people who are making it right? Because it's a participatory thing, hope, right? Yes. It's not like a, you you don't watch it. I was just going to say that, that it's participatory because after 9-11, when he mm. did the public service announcement, right. he used a, a Jewish term, which means repairers of creation. And so he uh. was encouraging people, whatever you do to bring love, light, you know, forgiveness, peace to your neighborhood. That's what repairs creation. So it's a very active thing. Hope is active. So it, it's like, yes, look for the helpers and be the helper. Participate, be a repairer. Of, I love that. Be a repairer of creation. To me, the act of creativity is a hopeful act and it is a positive, constructive act. And then Amy, I found that blog post from you saying like, embrace the ambiguity. And I was like, you know, I, at my best moments in the last few days, I've been trying to, I'm like, it's going to be fine. You know what you're doing. But in the worst, I'm like, you're insane. Why would you voluntarily do this again? But the, except the ambiguities isn't from me. That was me quoting Fred to you. Oh. He's the one who said to accept the ambiguities because when he started a project, he wasn't sure it was going to be what he thought it would be, you know? Right. The except the ambiguities was from him. That was his word yeah. for you, young man. Well, through you, young lady. <laughs> As you guys were, were talking earlier, I was sitting here jotting down some notes and some words that, that kept coming up. And a lot of the words that kept coming up were things like sadness, weakness, self-doubt. Tim, you said something about it being such a dark moment in history and tragedy and anxiety and fear. And, and I think expression of all of those things are very important when it comes to expressing depth and simplicity in our lives and in our emotion. But on the flip side of that is also a deep and simple appreciation for joy and marvel yeah, yeah. and wonder, wonder yeah. and hope. How do you practice those things at a deep level and a simple level? My sense is that there's an inverse relationship to my capability with both. So the more deeply I feel suffering and allow myself to, as my friend Matt, who's a somatic psychologist says, practice being with the hard things, the more I'm capable there, the more I'm capable of also noticing like last night at dinner when my nine-year-old was just an adorable riot. And I just sat there and just said, just enjoy this. Look at her go, you know, <laughs> or I was hiking with my friend in Bucks County and we looked up and there's a red tail hawk and you could have easily just walked under it, right? Those, I feel like there's an inverse relationship between how low I can feel and how high I can feel. And that's part of maybe part of the payoff of the work. Does that have any resonance with you guys? Absolutely. I feel like the more your heart feels for pain and suffering in the world, 
and for the the negative emotions, the more you're able to appreciate the positives, the the joy and the wonder, and to recognize the the joy in the world. I go back regularly to a, a poem I had to memorize when I was in high school. I looked it up a few mm-hmm. minutes ago to make sure I'm quoting because I may have memorized it when I was in high school, but that's been a few years ago. <laughs> but it's 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 called Desiderata, and it's a very it's one you see on oh, posters sure. once, oh, yeah. once in a while. And it ends with the line, "With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it's still a beautiful world." Mm-hmm. And and that is when when someone asked earlier, what would Fred say in our in our current world? I think that would be part of of his response would be it's it's broken it's messed up but there's still so much beauty yeah. so much beauty to see and I think you can experience both like what you just said Ben I think you can you can experience both the the heartache and the hurt right alongside the 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 joy and the wonder I think that's the other thing that always confused me and again I'm going to give both of these guys credit that somehow experience was mutually exclusive and that I couldn't be two things at once. And again, the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, oh, within the span of a day, I'm going to be a zillion things. And it's possible that I could be really, 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 really aching inside. And also something truly transformative or beautiful can happen. Like it's, but I think the, again, younger me, I mean, I, I think when I heard deep and simple, I was establishing binaries because binaries help me understand difference. At the end of the day, I think it's more like the color of a sunset where it's a little bit of night and it's a little bit of day all mixed up, which is, by the way, why we made the poster look like that, because it was like the full range of experience, the darkness at the top with the little points of light and the daylight below. If you have permission to express how you feel, he's not just talking about sadness or weakness or fear or any of those things. We also have permission to express joy and gratitude and those kind of right. things. And I, when Benjamin and I talked about a year ago during the pandemic, it was really difficult, you know, to be mm-hmm. joyous and anything other than anxious. And I was, Benjamin, you re- you'll remember this because it was a very practical thing that, you know, when something negative happens to us, it imprints immediately, you know, without us doing anything. But when something Mm -hmm. positive happens, unless we hold on to it for at least 15 seconds, it goes away. And so that's just neuroscience. And so what it, what it shows me is that reflection is absolutely essential to gratitude. And I said this in the simple faith of Mr. Rogers, he knew that silence leads to reflection Reflection leads to appreciation and appreciation looks around for someone to thank. And so if you're contemplative, you have to sit with things. Mm. And the more you reflect on things, the more grateful you are. And so it is a practice and it takes longer. And it's like, just think about like a hundred people could say something nice to you. And one person says something nasty. What goes over in your head a million times? The nasty thing. Mm. So what we have to do, we have to counter that by taking the good thing you know, rehearse it for at least 15 seconds, let it imprint, let the joyous things be part of our life too, when it's so easy just to let the bad things imprint. So that's another Mm -hmm. kind of discipline or practice that I've learned is to actually recount things that have happened. I keep a journal. I've kept a journal since I was 18. And the first day of every new year, I go back through it and you won't believe how grateful you become because Mm. you forget the good Mm. things, but it takes time and patience and you have to kind of cultivate it, you know, but it's an emotion just like any other emotion. And absolutely everything counts. Everything belongs.
For years, Tim and Amy have been sentinels, slightly elder spiritual siblings, ever ready for counsel. I've called on them confounded, confused, and crestfallen, exuberant, and downright giddy. They hold space for me to be whoever I need to, weak or strong, brave or stupid, which seems to me the best we can be for anyone. Now more than ever, with insurgencies and invasion, division and isolation, we would all benefit from holding that space for one another. In times of stress, Fred reminds us, the best thing we can do for each other is to listen with our ears and hearts and to be assured that our questions are just as important as our answers. Friends and Neighbors is an essential industries production in association with Wagner Brothers. Learn more at friendsandneighborshow.com and please help your friends and neighbors discover our show by sharing, liking, commenting, and rating. Really, it makes a difference. Mr. Rogers and Me is available on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and PBS DVD. Until next time, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends. Lifelong friends.